Hi, I'm Pamela Wallen, and welcome to another episode of No Nonsense. We're 1955, born into a dealer's pride. I laid my hand on that Milligan Creek. Yes, indeed, you heard Wadena Saskatchewan immortalized in song. Why? Because the lead vocalist, guitarist, mandolin player for the Dead South calls Wadena home. In fact, Nate Hiltz is my neighbor here at Fishing Lake. So as we have this conversation, you might hear the lake in the background. Welcome, Nate. Thanks for having me. <laughs> We're pretty lucky, aren't we? Ah, uh, extremely. Just looking out here, a little windy today. The waves are good. Life is good. So congratulations. We'll start another Juno. Thank you very much. I mean, <laughs> that still was something pretty... that's hard to, I don't know, believe that happens sometimes. Really? Yeah. It's the second one. It is the second one. First one that I actually got to celebrate and take in. Yeah. Um, but yes, it is the second one. And my first one was stolen by my parents, so I, I haven't really seen it much. <laughs> Who also live out here. We know where it is. Um, so this year, the Junos were supposed to be in Saskatoon. You guys were doing a live performance. You were nominated in the, what is it, Best Traditional Roots? Is Traditional that? Roots album. Yeah. And, uh, and then COVID. Cool. They're canceled. You had to do a performance in Saskatoon. They recorded it. We all watched it. Everybody here watched it, of course. It was great. Um, and then you won the Juno. So you're not there to accept, but how you? How did you celebrate? Well, I guess it was a little more unorthodox this year. <laughs> uh, basically, what we did is I invited the band that could make it, because yeah. some members live in Kelowna or elsewhere, and the crew that could make it and their partners. And we all dressed up like we were going to the Junos. We were sitting there, you know, we watched the performance that we did. Yeah. Everyone was, you know, having a good time. And once the awards were uh, announced and we ended up winning, which was incredible, we, <laughs> I had bought like, I don't know, maybe 13 bottles of champagne. So we just... <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't drink that or anything? No, no, no we no. just sprayed it. Yeah. <laughs> Likely story. Well, I was sitting here at the lake watching it with your mom and dad, and that was a pretty amazing night too for them to see that but why are you surprised like you guys have really you've hit well i, I you just never know what's going to happen sometimes yeah. even if you feel it in your gut that you might yeah. have got it you you think you might deserve it you just never know there's a lot of factors that go into the process right. of right you know the the judges and and right. you know who wants what at this time and what are the trends of that year yeah and, maybe right. we're old news you know you never know yeah so what does it mean with COVID? Because obviously you guys were just on a roll. You had uh, tours booked, dates booked everywhere. Everything just stopped. Yeah, pretty much. We got home March 1st from the UK. Yeah. And we were supposed to go to the Junos and perform mid-March there. Right. We show up in Saskatoon. That all gets canceled. Actually, you're getting phone calls maybe almost as, hourly. Maybe no. Yeah. Yeah. At first it was, uh, you know... Okay, so the broadcast is going to happen, but there will be nobody in the building. And, you know, all the other events are still up in the air and what's happening. And then those kind of started shutting down. And then we get a call the next morning and be like, you know what, it's a no-go for sure. Everyone pack your bags and go home. And from there, you just kind of kept getting news of, you know, the tour we're just supposed to do right after that postponed. We don't know what to do with it. Where were you supposed to go? That one was Western Europe. Wow. And some new places... Uh, like we had never been to Norway before and a couple of other ones that we've really wanted to. So that got moved to the following March and then May 
every month just started getting cut down and pushed back a, a whole year basically so we're still I think we're still waiting to hear about September and November but you never know right yeah. now yeah. what's that do I mean we we've in our conversations we've talking been talking about the impact on <clears throat> business and the impact on kids that can't go to school and just all like the world has so changed it's what does it mean for you guys if you can't be together if you can't play if you can't build on that well that's an interesting question just because our momentum was completely squashed just like many other artists you right. know who are on a roll just releasing albums getting these tours out um i guess we chose to look at it in a very positive light we were really uh, like shocked and sad by everything happening mm -hmm. and just everything shutting down but we understood the safety of it so what do you do so we decided to look at it in a way of okay let's just make sure that during this time we take it to enjoy our lives for once because we've been on the road for about six years straight um let's work on getting healthy let's work on projects together from afar which will be a little different than normal because i was just listening to a song last night uh over at, at your place where you were performing with a fellow musician not somebody you that's part of the dead south but a, a guy from british columbia and he phoned tell us that story because are you doing that remotely that was remotely yes um wow. so that that fellow's name is kellen sape and he's from chilliwack bc and uh we've been buddies for couple years now met through another artist on the road or actually no he opened for us one time when we passed through Chilliwack a couple years ago okay and we just kind of kept a relationship going and every once in a while he sends me some songs and this time he sent a song that uh, I was really into and he said he kind of wrote it thinking of me yeah or having me in mind for the parts so yeah I hopped on <clears throat> I actually recorded my vocal parts out here in the camper in the back <laughs> I had my two uh Wadena boys the Linden brothers came out yes. and, and they uh they set up in my camper real quick and in about half an hour drank a couple whiskeys and threw down the <laughs> threw down my parts and sent it to him and hoped that he enjoyed it okay there's a little reference there that i can't resist because um nate's mom called me a couple of years ago and said uh the boys are playing in the karaoke hall okay this karaoke's a town of what was 40 people maybe hamlet a hamlet yeah, yeah it's not a town it's a hamlet but the hall there is famous and you get the best turkey dinners there at Thanksgiving and Christmas and for any kind of party. So the boys are playing at the karaoke hall and the linen boys are going to play. So this is the mayor of Wadena and his wife, who was the pharmacist and their two sons played. So here we are in this hall in karaoke, the linen boys opening for the dead South. The place went crazy. Mm. Like here's this little tiny, it was just a wonderful night. So, and you had fans that came from a distance in Saskatchewan, like drove a couple hundred miles. Yeah, uh, it was amazing. So I'm going to just do a little shout out to Hot Lettuce. That's the Linen Boys, yes, the band name. name. So Thank if you, you. want to check Thank him you. out. Yeah. But uh, that was the first time in my life of partying around here or going to events where I've seen that many of these towns together and no yeah. one fought. Right. That, right. Was, that was actually awesome. I think I was the closest person fighting. Someone jumped on the stage and I pushed them <laughs> off. <laughs> we talked about it after, but you have to understand a lot of fighting goes on amongst and between towns over hockey, basically, and then sometimes boyfriends and girlfriends. Yeah, because if boys date girls from another town, then the boys from that town get really defensive. And I mean, it's wonderful, really. <laughs> it is. Say. I mean, sometimes you just say the name of your town, and the next person's spitting at your feet, and they say, like, "Oh, jeez." Uh. <laughs>
<laughs> All in good fun. Now, before we forget, though, this song that you did with your Chilliwack, tell us the name, because people should go and hear right. this. Uh, so that song is called Bare Bones. Right. Yeah. And he just released this album uh, a couple weeks ago. So. so you can just go on YouTube or someplace and get it. Yeah, YouTube, Spotify is where okay. I've been listening to it through. You okay. can order it off of his website or Bandcamp, I believe. So okay. Kellen Sape, check him out. Okay, so let's talk about music. <laughs> sure. So how come you ended up like this? I mean, music seems, what, do you, what, did, what are you trained for? What am I trained for? Did you go to school? Did you go to university? Were you going to be a dentist? Like, <laughs> well, this I have great teeth, but I wasn't going to be a dentist. <laughs> um, well, music started young for me. Uh, Mom put me in piano at a young age. It didn't last very long. My teacher basically told me that I, I was no good. <laughs> so, uh, with that, fe- with those feelings in mind, I had a tough time going back with that. To any kind of music. Well, not just any kind, but just piano. I mean, I felt. Mm useless after you know some things were said and i i just kind of said to my parents at a, i was at five maybe i just i don't want to go anymore i don't have a good time when i go then shortly after that uh, like a few years got into uh saxophone in school mm-hmm. band yep. tenor sax and actually danny kenyon who's also the cello player in dead south he was playing alto sax right beside me so Oh, so you guys have known each other that long? Since kindergarten. Scott, Danny, and myself, yeah, pretty much. And uh, I picked up the guitar around 10 years old. Had a really good teacher, Mike Vancha. I did not take advantage of his knowledge at all. I wanted to learn, like, Nirvana songs and Zeppelin (laughs) songs and, you know, just play around. And then I never really progressed on the guitar. I played a little bit with my friends. Um, I had friends who were better than me, so I would just kind of sit back and watch them and be more in awe. And then I, uh, after high school, I decided to take French education with a second degree in French at U of R. And then I spent... Uh, Parallel paths. I did yeah. the same thing. <laughs> and then I went to uh, Laval for a year, and I bought a guitar for 25 bucks. And some of the people that I met and started hanging with played guitar a little bit and got me back into it. And as soon as I moved home, I moved in with my, uh, my best friend Connor Malloy and his brother Galen and they're both musicians and and this is back to regina this is back to regina yeah yeah. and once i moved back from quebec and when i got back they're really good wrestlers like top wrestlers in canada up there in in world class and stuff uh but one of their buddies from the wrestling team came over one day and his name is colton crawford who is now the banjo player we met and you know we started talking about music and he said he just got a banjo and i said i've always wanted to uh, be in a band and then the four of us kind of formed it with a couple other buddies you know marlon laguerre from uh Mistatum and stuff and and then the the band eventually just started morphing differently as people had to leave so galen was in another band called the skull so they moved to montreal uh connor was uh in school for international affairs of sorts and he moved to china so those guys were gone and colton mm-hmm. myself kept doing open mic nights and then we Invited in uh, Danny to come jam with his cello. But was was this your bluegrass? This was you. You'd left behind the the grunge and the punk and. Yeah, I mean the idea was to take I don't know the banjo and acoustic guitar and then see what happens kind of thing. It also started with an electric guitar and electric bass and drums. Mm-hmm. And then as those guys left, we started reshaping it, where we kind of had a little more of the bluegrass sound, even though we had no idea what we were doing. And that's why we have the sound that we have. 
Because you just made it up. We just made it up, yeah. <laughs> but that, obviously, that music appeals, right? There's... Apparently, yeah. Did people you seem listen to, enjoy to it. it as a kid, or so a little bit? I mean, every once in a while, you'd kind of hear some some bluegrass or like some old fiddle tunes. I remember mom taking me to um, I cannot remember his name off the top of my head, which sucks right now. But he <laughs> lived in uh, on Buckhorn side there, oh. and his wall was full of fiddles. And I remember like we went over there one time, and he just picked up the fiddle off the wall and started jamming it. And I just thought that stuff was so cool. And you know, mom would always tell me how. You know, in the old days, some old some of the old guys would come roll up on the porch and they'd start playing music yeah. and then they'd take yeah. off and go to the next place. And they still do it today. In they'll go to the old folks' home and play for the people there, or they'll show up if there's a fundraiser for somebody that's in need and just kind of play. Mm-hmm. That does really go on. So it's it's there. You saw it. You did. This wasn't a foreign world. It was like, oh, okay, you can take an instrument off the wall and play it. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, seeing that it happens. It gives you that, I don't know, idea that it's you can do it. Yeah. Um, and it didn't necessarily start like that. Like you said, like the grunge and punk stuff was really heavy, classic rock. I mean, if it wasn't for Jim Morrison and the Doors and Pearl <laughs> Jam, I don't think I'd be playing music at all kind of thing. So Jim Morrison, that's that's a force. A uh, big one. He yeah. was a big one for me growing up. I mean, incredible talent. Yeah. 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 So that, because there is kind of a dark side to your, I mean, it, it always sounds uplifting, but there's a dark tone, mm-hmm. undertone, especially in some of the lyrics. Definitely, yeah. That uh, That's supposed to be, to some degree, ironic. Yeah. You know, and, and some dark humor with it. And and then also you touch on some just dark events that happen in life. You know, a lot of the stuff that we take from, or even when I'm writing, I, I sometimes I just envision a movie playing in my head. Mm-hmm. And I'll just kind of start writing down words as I see like a scene happening. Right. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Everybody thinks music or books or what art is all autobiographical. You know, you're singing these lyrics because, you know, you're brokenhearted or you're this. It doesn't come that way. It doesn't have to. I mean, yeah. for sure, it, it can. And it has, for sure. Yeah. Um, but there are also just storylines that you kind of build and using your imagination and letting it run a little bit. And instead of seeing it like a song all the time sometimes i look at it more like a story to tell mm-hmm. yeah so how does that process work with all of you well that's changed over time when we first started it was jamming two to three times a week with a case of pilsner in the basement you know <laughs> just having a good time and uh, just seeing what happened and as time went on we got busier with touring and that started picking up so the jamming decreased a bit but we're still writing a lot and getting together and doing it okay we've skipped a step here because but i want to come back to that but i mean you're you're four guys that get together like every four guys of a certain age they're all going to be rock stars right you're going to have a band and you're going to be famous and world's going to be great how did you get from you know four guys sitting around thinking you should do this to actually touring Trial and error. I mean, our our goal was to play O'Hanlon's pub in Regina. That was our big shot. You know, go play this stage that we've seen hundreds of amazing bands play before. Right. Like one day we'll get to play there. And uh, it started happening. We started, you know, working hard and playing as much as possible. We said yes to every possibility. Right. Always say yes. That's how it started for sure. Rule in life. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously take that with a grain of salt, but. Um, yeah, we said yes to everything, and, and we just got, we were in a lot of weird situations by doing that, which 
also led to other opportunities afterwards. Some like, hey, I saw you in that show where you played in a tiny corner up in someone's stairwell one Mm -hmm. time, you know, or I saw you in a backyard playing one time. How about you come and do this for this? And then it kept spiraling like that. And we were very fortunate where we didn't have to look for work that much because we were just playing so much anyways that people kept hearing our name and asking us and we would just say yes. And then you, so obviously you're working on it all the time because, I mean, you have your own standard too. People hear you, they like you, but you're trying to get better. Oh, uh, and that's how we got better. We were just playing all the time. If we weren't playing all the time like that, we would not be as, I don't know, tight as we are right now. You know, our creativity might not even be as good. Who knows? Yeah. And so you're still doing that that process of you've got an idea for lyrics or music or both and then everybody adds yeah that's definitely how our writing process goes a lot well um someone might come up with with a skeleton of a song where that's chord structure maybe not even words but just kind of trying to work on a melody the whole time and then people will start just figuring out what what's there and adding their parts yeah or in other ways someone will come up with a really cool lick or or solo, and then you just build around that mm-hmm. and try and make that. That's the other thing that I notice about this, which is, you know, you're the lead guy. There's no question, but there's lots of there's lots of space. Everybody has space. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I'm seen as the lead guy because I I sing most, and mm-hmm. I'm more, you know, what they call the face. Which right, we're all the face, though. If you think about it, you know, there's four guys standing right beside each other, or. Yeah three guys and a girl at one time yes. we had Eliza Mary That's Doyle in there too, right? That's who when you were in croquet. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's four people up there and, you know, Scott does a lot of singing, Danny does singing, Colton's starting to get into singing now and stuff too. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so when you were talking about dealing with COVID and not being able to travel or necessarily be together, so can you have that process remotely? Like you did this song with your... Um, friend in BC whose name I has escaped me now. Helen so say Sape. it again. Thank Helen you. Sape. And um, so can you do that with each other? Yeah. So some of the stuff we've been doing during COVID is we've been doing isolation videos where I would start the song, record myself on the phone, and then I would just send it to the next guy and he would just put his parts over top and then do that. So that was one way that we started doing it. Mm-hmm. And then just recently we all actually got you know, just some bare bones recording equipment so we can actually um, start recording ourselves a little better, get familiar with uh, the music programs like Pro Tools and stuff, and now we can actually remotely work more professionally on projects and add in ideas a lot easier and create that way. You talked, I heard you say at some point that, you know, what you love is a live performance, I think anybody does, and that the, the music you record in a studio is not you don't think it's as good as what you do in your life yeah yeah definitely I, it's hard to capture the energy yeah in in a recording studio like you can sound almost perfect in a studio but you might be missing that oh, i don't know that fire that you get you're not feeding off the energy exactly of the couch. yeah you're not feeding off your tiredness from being on tour you're not feeding <laughs> off you know maybe the some hangover, of the, the, the hangover whatever. exactly some of the drinks you might have had before it's just it's just a whole different process and it's hard to actually just get that same feeling from a live performance when you have a lyric which is you know as you say it comes you see storylines or an experience or you combine it but sometimes the lyrics sound more uh dark or or that 
your life has been so hard and that your life hasn't been hard like that, but yet you bring authenticity to it somehow. It, 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 I actually believe that when your baby wants a diamond ring or a string of pearls that, I don't know, somehow that reflects some woman in your life somewhere. Well, I mean, you, you can take it like that for sure. And I think a lot of times when, you know, you go to say the words, you put some meaning behind it. Yeah. Um, but you can feel that, like, because to you it's a story. So if you're telling a story, you can get emotional about it. Yeah, exactly. You're trying to put the emotion into what you're saying and, you know... You can hear one of the best worded songs ever, but if you don't feel any any emotion with it, you're kind of it's just words. Uh, last night, another piece of music that we were listening to over at your place, Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. um, poet more than actual, you know. Uh, the voice actually wasn't that that you know traditionally wonderful, but of course we all love that. What what are your forces then now? What do you, what's interesting to you? that's different than what you actually do, but what you listen to, what inspires you? Mm. My uh, musical taste is very eclectic. I, I listen to stuff from classical music to, you know, garage punk to, <laughs> you know, the sappiest folk, you know, that you can listen to. It just keeps going. I don't know exactly what the inspiration is or what's driving me sometimes. You just kind of get into uh, a mode I guess you could say, and you just start building around that mode and just kind of putting it into inspiring thoughts or or experiences that you can put with with something with else. something else a lot of times. So let's say it's a completely fictional story. Sometimes you can throw in little bits here and there the experiences you've had or that you've right. heard of or some someone from your family or friends have experienced and just yeah. kind of put it into into a song. What. Uh... <clears throat> Well, I'll just ask, in this day and age, right, so political correctness and what we're seeing on the streets with Black Lives Matter and all, does does it constrain? Are you nervous about what you might say or do on stage? Are we in a different, from your point of view, or are we in a different climate? Um, yeah, we're in a, a different climate. I mean, stuff's changing. Everything works on a pendulum, really. You know, you see a lot of... Um, a lot of extremes that go through life mm-hmm. and it just kind of bounces back and forth yeah. and then there's a middle ground um in terms of saying stuff on stage no uh we really stay out of politics yeah. as a band you're kind of minimalist anyway in terms of the yeah and matters about the music yeah exactly yeah. and that's what it's about you know like we do say when you come out to see us it's like you're taking a night off from everything you're here to enjoy your time with everyone around you mm-hmm. um we we don't include politics and our music we don't make political statements anything like that we just want it to be about the music and you know that will upset people because they say you have a platform that could right. make a difference here well you know what we're four different people mm-hmm. and we have four different ways of thinking we have four different political views all of that so we would rather be friends in a band mm-hmm. than you know be guys that argue with each other or start fights with other people online right. about politics and stuff like that but anything in your lyrics that might seem completely normal to you because you're telling a story and then somewhere somebody sees this as a an insult or an aggression against them or you're not being as respectful of women as you should like right you're not getting that you're not feeling that back oh yeah we've definitely felt stuff i mean when you 
when you put something out there, people can take it as they want. They can feel what they want with it. And that's right. the most beautiful thing about music right. or a, a book or a story, you know, yeah. you put it out there, people get feelings about it. They choose to, you know, take it in how they can and they choose to react how they can with it. Um, I mean, you can't do much. You just don't engage in the Twitterverse about this stuff. No, not really. Yeah. I mean, it's, we, we made our stance on everything. Like, you know, we're a band. We're a little tongue-in-cheek at times. We're, mm-hmm. We have humor. We have seriousness in, Great in everything. Great outfits. Yeah, we, <laughs> we have our attire. And we're just doing our thing, you know. Do people understand that sometimes you are really trying to be ironic or satirical? That You know, it's respectful what you're doing of the tradition of bluegrass or rockabilly or I don't know how you'd even describe it, but... But then you've kind of got your tongue in your cheek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some people 100% really understand how ironic we're being a lot of times. <laughs> and, you know, some moments we're being a little more serious with the song. You know, if yeah. it's a little more heartfelt song or, you yeah. know, a dark theme that actually has something yeah. that to start a conversation about, go ahead and talk about it. That's good. Starting the conversations is great. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that for the most part people seem to understand what we're doing success so here you are in the garage quite literally in regina saskatchewan and then you start to tour you're a big hit in europe and the southern u.s before hardly anybody knows your name in canada yeah how did that happen well we started going to europe in 2014 Mm -hmm. we were playing uh, at canadian music week in toronto and we had a showcase. And the first thing that we were told was, do not expect to go to Canadian Music Week and get signed by a label, find a manager, anything like that. Just go and enjoy the experience because, mm-hmm. you know, nine out of ten times you're coming home with nothing. And you're one of many. Ex- yeah, exactly. You're one of many, many. <laughs> there's there's bands playing all over, bands that are way bigger than you, all this stuff. So we went and luckily Sask Music had put us onto a showcase and... They invited uh, a nice German fellow named Jörg Tresp, who uh, runs Devil Duck Records in Hamburg. And he came out. He didn't want to because he was really jet-lagged and tired. Right. He said he'd come for one song and stayed for the whole show, and we talked after. And then uh, he started bringing us to Europe. And that was actually the turning point in my life because at that time I was still in education. And uh, <laughs> I... Uh, you had a day job. I, I did. <laughs> and I went and uh, we were having supper at my parents' place, and I looked at my mom and was like, Mom, I, I know you're not going to like this, but I think I'm going to take some time off of school and really pursue, pursue music. And that was actually the first time that she's ever agreed with me. Really? Yeah. She, good for her. Yeah, it was it definitely good for her, and thank you. <laughs> thank, that you was a, thank, thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, Bonnie. Because yeah. <laughs> that was a tough one. Those conversations never went well. No, I mean, and most parents say, for God's sake, you know, you, you're going to be a starving artist and you're not going to make any money and you've got a shot here, just like buckle down. Basically, my uh, my point or my standing point on that was, look, school is going to be there. Mm-hmm. I have to try this. Even if it doesn't work out, I will not regret this decision. I want to go and try and tour in Europe with, with these guys and see mm-hmm. what happens. And uh, if it doesn't work, then I'll go back to I'll school. I'll be home. I'll tell you you were right, but then you didn't have to. She said, you're right. Yeah. I, I just, the way I took it is uh, if that's a decision I'm going to make, then I have to keep running. Yeah. And I have to make it 
be as I have to work as hard as possible for it and I have to make sure that it's something that I'm happy with and I kind of wanted to prove to you know my parents and and others who and were, you and yourself. myself yeah definitely just it's possible and we uh, we were lucky enough that it it did work and we kept running so then where where did it click in the southern US just because of the music there's a, a more of a an openness to it yeah i think what happened there was um we were getting a steady fan base growth here in Saskatchewan Alberta and kind of in the west a little more mm-hmm. um so we were doing that and then between that and europe we were just playing all the time so in europe we were starting to grow just organically yeah and then in western canada we were starting to get a little bit of growth but the states thing didn't happen until uh, the video for In Hell Being Good Company came out, and then it kind of became a, a viral hit. We looked at some, like your music online, if you go to, as you say, Spotify or YouTube, like 8, 9, 11 million hits on a song. Like you've got this, it's almost underground, except you're not underground. You're, you're very mainstream almost at this point, but... You're really working your fan base. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, in Hell of a Good Company has 190 some million yeah hits. Like and the numbers are just like yeah, it, it's it's bizarre. And actually, what happened with that is we're not we're not sure who did it exactly, but someone put us on the front page of Reddit Music one time. Wow. And then when that happened, it got tossed to a bluegrass blog on Facebook that had a ton of followers. And then it got tossed back onto Reddit again, and the YouTube just, the hits just started increasing like crazy, and then it would go back on Reddit, and it just keeps going back and forth. So some people are like, how much are these guys paying to get this stuff on mm-hmm. the front page? And the answer is nothing. It's all because people keep clicking on it. That's that's literally all it is. This is, I, I mean, it's probably not a unique story, but it sounds like, I mean, you've built all this online with no deliberate act on your part well 100 percent. our deliberate act was trying to play as many shows as possible yeah our our, our i guess our popularity or success also grew because of word of mouth you know you mm-hmm, go see mm-hmm. a video sometimes and you're oh i'm excited to see this band and you go in they're nothing like what you just saw right. now we're doing the other thing a lot of times people will tell us um you know you're better than your recordings you're better than the videos and you, you create this atmosphere that we love to see. So then they tell their friends yeah, and so on and so forth. And I think that's how that started building more in the U.S. too. Like the video was a staple, but then people started coming out. And then each time we go back, the shows are bigger because they've told their friends, you know, the community's talking about a little more. And then the presence online is also growing. And are you trying to do other things with the, with the ticket process? Because I know a lot of musicians are really unhappy with the ticket masters of the world and all of that like how are you dealing that's a tough one because we try to direct everyone to our website to make sure that you are buying from mm-hmm. the original source however and it's an actual ticket it's an actual <laughs> yeah. ticket however what what happens is like you know ticket master and all those other ticket sources they'll buy a lot of tickets mm-hmm. and then they will resell them for double triple triple right. price and then people are looking at you saying why like, are you gouging why are you gouging and yeah. you know that's not us none of that yeah. money is going to us yeah the money that goes to us is what Ticketmaster already bought from those tickets and it's so frustrating because you're just seeing these platforms just take such advantage of people and their money and even their trust mm-hmm. and it sucks for them it sucks for us it, it just sucks all around 
there's nothing you can really do at the end of the day unless you start selling physical tickets again. Yeah. Um, and then that's a whole other... Yeah, and we've talked about that, but that also makes it hard because yeah. what an online world we have these days. Exactly. Everyone likes the convenience of, you know, going online, buying yeah. a ticket. Walk and, in, show the phone. Exactly. I mean, that's the best way to do it. There are some people who still, you know, walk up to the door and, mm-hmm. and you know, they either lock out and get a ticket or it's sold out. So that's kind of the other thing. So I don't know. It's a tough one. It is. So you're now, nobody knows how long the COVID hiatus will last, right? Although you're still doing your stuff. You're planning to be back out on tour at some point. You're going to keep doing this. Some of your guys have jobs, families, you know, that kind of stuff. Is it going to work? I think it'll work. It's worked till now. Um, We're hoping by next March we can be back on the road. Wow. But I don't know this everything's changing all the time yeah, and you're yeah. just kind of waiting to see what happens in terms of like jobs and family um you know we've had a career of perseverance in that case i mean danny is a structural engineer full-time job before that he was taking his master's and you know in school for it so that was a, a big juggle around but he's made it work now where you know he goes into work and he works hard and he gets stuff ready and he just does everything he needs to do before taking the time off to go on tour. And in terms of family and stuff, um, I guess everyone just has this understanding of we're still working. We're still doing something we all love and enjoy mm-hmm. to do. And uh, we'd rather be doing this than anything else right now in terms of So as long as that's work. true. Yeah. So as long as that stays true and we kind of keep those same feelings about everything then we will definitely continue for as long as possible. And what, what, where do you want to play once that you haven't yet? Like, do you have these little check marks yourself? Well, I mean, in terms of countries, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> We've played a lot of countries. We're very fortunate. And there's a lot more that we still want to play. Is there a venue? Is there some place you say, I want to go? Uh, yeah. So one of the ones that we really wanted to play, actually two, was Glastonbury in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. So we got that and we'd love to play that again. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Red Rocks in uh, just outside of Denver, Colorado is a huge bucket list and we got to do that. We opened for Trample by Turtles and, and played with Deer Tick. And um, we were supposed to also play this September in the Caverns in Tennessee. And that's a pretty cool one. I mean, other than that, I would love to play the Ryman. Yeah. You know, I'd love to play the Grand Old Opry. I'd like to, there's, yeah, there's quite a few venues I'd still like to play. And this just still, I guess you, you've got, I hate to use the word because it's almost kind of dated, but you've got your fame and you've got your success, but you're happy to come and sit at Fishing Lake and have a barbecue with your mom and dad and the neighbors and like, that's your balance? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, what is fame and success really? I go home to Regina, I hang out with my friends, I go have a beer with my friends, I cut my lawn. You know, I come to the lake, I hang out with my parents and my friends. There's no lavish lifestyle or anything as people might assume when they Mm -hmm. see people doing well. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely a life that I really enjoy. And you can keep the both. Absolutely. Both sides. Yeah, I can keep both sides. And what also happens is a lot of times when you're traveling on other parts of the world or in other parts of Canada, you can plan to go early to get a little trip in or stay a little longer Mm -hmm. just to also explore And the amount of traveling that I've done because of music is unfathomable. I never would have done that otherwise. Seen the world that way. I mean, I feel that too, which is, you know, my work got me to a lot of places. So 
to come here is really, I mean, this really is home. It makes me feel settled. It makes me feel at peace. Like, and it's kind of a different definition of home, except it is what home is. It, it does also happen to be my home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it, you kind of redefine that. It's great to run around the world and see all these places, but you need to be grounded. You need to be grounded and grounded somewhere that makes you feel good. Yeah. And that's here. Yep. We're looking out a little bit of heaven there. So we'll just uh, count our blessings. Nate, thank you so, so much. It's uh, you make Saskatchewan proud. You make Canada proud and you make all of us out here proud. Of course, you know that. Um, and the Junos mean other people are seeing you. And there's other awards too. Those were just being kind of Canadian about that. But <laughs> thank you and congratulations. Thank you very much.